when my friend Dave McDonald was diagnosed with cancer eight years or so ago, in the, in the midst of his gruelling chemotherapy, Dave sat down to write a book, as you do, a book that he called Hope Beyond Cure. It's a great title, isn't it? Because when you play the words over in your mind a few times, it's, it's got a few different angles. So because we've got the technology... I've asked Dave to join us this morning from just south of sunny Port Macquarie. Uh, hey, Dave. It's a catchy book title, and you were telling me the other day it's even become a bit of an internet meme. But uh, can you tell me what you actually meant by that title when you came up with it, and particularly the idea of hope beyond cure? Yeah, look, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought I'd suddenly got a terminal illness, and I'm a slow learner, and it took me a couple of months to realise I'd always had a terminal illness. It's actually called life. And it struck me as a tragedy. If people were cured of cancer and they put all their hope in that, they were still going to die. And it's not enough to be uh, focusing on healing. We need to focus on eternity. And so I wanted to give people reasons uh, for a real hope that will last not only in this life and I, I do hope we get cures for cancer, don't get me wrong, but I hope that will last through death into eternity. And so the book really is about uh, picking up on the tough circumstances that we're in. And in the case of me, it was my cancer. Now, I guess everyone faced with the COVID-19 uh, issues and pushing us to think further about what hope there really is that can be found in Jesus. Thanks, Dave. We had another tech fail in the midst of that, so I only heard the last bit of what you said. But uh, I hope everyone else picked up on what Dave's saying, that while we were certainly all hoping and praying for a cure for his cancer, that is not the main thing. And the hope he was talking about was something even bigger than that, not not a hope of a cure, but a hope beyond, a hope over and above a medical breakthrough or a new drug, a hope beyond a clear scan. So... I want to ask you this morning, in our circumstances, are you at this point looking for a hope beyond corona or is that the limit of your vision, a vaccine and an economic recovery? I mean, it's obvious we all want to be able to go on holidays and meet up in our favourite cafe, but I'm asking, are you interested in finding and focusing your attention on a hope that's more lasting? I wonder if we have learned from the last few months that even our best investments can turn to dust overnight, brought down by a tiny little bug. Who'd have thought oil prices down to minus $40 a barrel? They've got nowhere to keep all the oil and, and so they'll actually pay you to take it away. I mean, I, I see the signs and I, I want to buy some, but I don't need it because there's nowhere to go. Who'd have thought toilet paper worth more than a barrel of oil? The point is, everything. Everything we set our hopes on in the end will perish, spoil or fade. My 2010 Volkswagen Eos is the most fun car Lou has ever let me buy. And look, it was just about worn out when I got it, but even more so now, two years later. And so the other day I noticed the rubber seals have perished around the driver's door. Uh, I got a quote to fix it. And for a new piece of rubber, you don't want to know the price. And yet I need it because it's perished, it's spoiled. Like everything else we ever treasure, it is fading away. 
But in Peter's first letter to these Jewish Christians who historically were scattered all around Assyria and Asia Minor, to these scattered people who were once the people of God and then got smashed and exiled and not a people, have a look at what Peter says to them about a living hope. Verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. He's talking about a hope that is way beyond just a cure for exile or for cancer or for coronavirus or anything else, not a political hope or a medical hope. This is a hope that won't spoil or go stale, that won't fade or rust or age or wrinkle or get infected and sick. This is a hope which has come, you'll see, he says, by the mercy of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which to Peter, like the other apostles who were with Jesus firsthand, is the one concrete fact that changes everything. This is the same Peter who we just saw at Easter trembling in the courtyard, too scared to even admit to a slave girl that he'd been hanging around with Jesus. The Peter who says, I don't even know him. He's changed his tune now, hasn't he? Because the resurrection changes everything. Why not be bold if Jesus really has written? Risen, sorry. Other psychologist Martin Seligman wrote the famous book learned optimism. He says it's good for us to be optimistic. But then on almost the last page of the book, he admits what some of us already suspected. The trouble is, he says, the pessimists are almost always right. Except, of course, if you have seen what Peter saw. That that flips. If Jesus really has risen, then you've got every right to be bold. You've got every right to be positive. You've got every right to be the ultimate optimist in the face of anything. I was chatting to Gordon Belgian the other day. Gordon's mum sadly passed away on Good Friday back home in England. And uh, of course, sadly, there's no way he can get back there to be with the family. And Gordon was saying he was chatting to his dad and they were, they were saying it's hard, isn't it, to keep trusting God. It's hard to hold on to the prospect of hope. You've probably felt the same sometimes. Is it real or not? Is there anything beyond? Any room for optimism at all? And I said to Gordon, Gordon, remind your dad, it all hinges on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Did he rise or didn't he? And the answer for Peter is, yes, he did. I saw him. And because of that, we can have a living hope that changes everything, that shapes our attitudes and our behaviours, that changes our living that changes how we live with injustice, that changes how we live with suffering, that changes how we live in our marriages, as we'll see over the next few weeks, because we are hoping beyond. It's a living hope that changes our living. I wonder when things are tough, like at the moment, does isolation make you more selfish or the opposite? Maybe you're the one who bought all the toilet paper and all the baked beans at Coles because at a time like this, it's every man for himself. 
So it's interesting, in previous epidemics through the last 2,000 years, through the plagues, Christians were the ones who actually cared, who were selfless in the face of personal danger. It was notable. We were the ones who gave without taking at huge cost. And it's because we were the ones who believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And that gives us a living hope that that lies beyond cure in the here and now. And we have a living Lord and Master who shapes our lives and our daily attitudes. I want to just take a minute with you to look at the source of that hope. Just picking up highlights from a few key verses in the passage. It's hope, first of all, from verses 1 and 2 that come from being chosen by God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled by his blood. Now, there are always people around who say the New Testament never talks specifically about that doctrine we call the doctrine of the Trinity, which is true in the sense that the New Testament never uses the term, and it's just the term they came up with after trying to figure it out for for two or three hundred years. But verses like those are just loaded, aren't they, with the idea that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in this new birth to a living hope that we've already seen in verse 3. The Father who initiates, the Spirit who remoulds desires and reshapes us into the people of God, and Jesus Christ whose death works the same way as the Old Testament sacrifice did. Sins laid symbolically on the head of the Lamb. The Lamb dies for that sin, and the blood of the Lamb sprinkled on the altar of the temple. Sins forgiven. Jesus is the better version of that. Which means, among other things, my hope is not because of my own efforts. It's not, I hope I've been good enough. It's a hope that is sourced and grounded in God's choice to forgive me and to renovate me by his spirit for a life of obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord who was raised from the dead. And so we have a living faith, a life lived as a consequence of our hope, not a hope as a consequence of our life. And this unspoiling inheritance we're looking forward to, unlike the inheritance my kids might have been looking forward to, uh, this is an inheritance shielded, guaranteed in verse 5 by God's power. Just keep trusting and he will keep shielding until the day finally comes. Verses 4 and 5, take a look. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, can you see this kind of hope? It really is a hope beyond cure. It's way bigger than a fix for COVID or your job security. In fact, it's the reason you'll notice Christians so often have a kind of illogical joy about them, a sense of deep satisfaction in the face of terrible times. Suffer now, enjoy later. We've lived, I think, and I suspect we still are, in an enjoy now, pay later culture, and and we thought we could put off paying forever. Peter wants us to be the opposite of that. As we'll see right through the letter, Peter wants us to adjust our expectations of life so that the hope we have keeps us going to the very end. 
without expecting everything to be easy now. For his first readers, it's very much persecution for their faith, as it is, of course, for Christians all around the world today. You might have had a small taste of that yourself. But Peter says on top of that, there are all kinds of trials that bring us grief. You might be one of the 130,000 Queenslanders who have lost your job in the last month or so. Everything you worked for coming undone. You might be subject to all kinds of worries or sadness through this time, not able to, to be there for the arrival of a grandchild, not able to celebrate a family wedding that you've looked forward to for so long, or like Gordon losing his mum in England or Christina losing her dad in America, not able to be there when it counts, not able to go ahead with our new church building. So many things changed, delayed, inconvenienced. Peter says for us, no matter what the disappointment now, the best is up ahead. And so he says, in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, friends, be assured, it's worth it. In this case, in verse 7, I'm pretty sure he's saying it's you who'll get the praise and glory and honour when Jesus comes. Well done. You kept trusting to the end. Which is why, while your faith might be getting knocked around and tested, it's worth standing firm. Which is why you will still meet many Christians who have an inexpressible and glorious joy, even when they're knocked around by circumstances. Because faith like that, you see, it is worth over $2,680 a kilo, which is the going price of gold. And that maybe means in these hard times, you're richer than you've ever been. And the model for that is Jesus. Faith that keeps you going through suffering now to glory later. That's what the prophets foresaw, though not as clearly as they would have liked. But all along, verse 11, the Spirit was pointing to the suffering of the Messiah and the glory that would follow. Because that's how it goes. Sufferings now, glory later. Sustained by our hope, which is a hope beyond. A hope beyond cure, a hope beyond our griefs and all kinds of trials, a a concrete hope that has the end result of the salvation of our souls in a way that can never spoil or perish or fade, even when our gold does. I want to ask you this morning, how are you going with that? Friends, that is the hope that we're called to. That's the source of our joy, all because of the risen Lord Jesus. If that's where your hope is, good on you, keep it there. But if you're a Christian already and you're struggling with that, why not chat to another Christian friend? Chances are at a time like this, they're struggling too. And the very best thing we can be doing is to be struggling together. 
instead of pretending we're swimming while we're drowning. And finally, if none of this stuff makes any sense to you and, and that sort of hope just sounds like crazy wishful thinking, if you're struggling to join all the dots, let me invite you again to sign up and zoom in for our Christianity Explored course with Dan. What better way to spend a few Thursday nights in lockdown? We'd love you to join us.